0: So Ryan is still M.I.A., which I guess stands for missing in a plane? Anyhow, since this week marks the next piece of the Marvel Cinematic Universe with the release of the Disney Plus show Hawkeye, aka Die Hard with Arrows, we figured we'd recycle an oldie but a goodie. Our episode from way back when in August of 2020, where in our 13th episode, we actually discuss Matt Fraction and David Aja's seminal comic book run on Hawkeye, which is pretty obvious that the new TV show will be borrowing heavily from. Are there spoilers for the TV show in this very episode? Who knows? Probably. But because we read this comic way back when and never really talk about things like plot or characters, you should be good to go down this trip down memory lane with us. So enjoy some replayed hot guy as you come out of your tryptophan-induced coma. Hell, it's Black Friday, so you should just go on and buy it already online. So you can be a cranky old man like the two of us and watch the show comparing it to the comic, which you totally will have finished reading first. You're welcome and happy Thanksgiving.
1: Yeah, honestly, it's best when the superheroic stuff crashes down on Clint Barton's normal life. And he's just trying to deal with the logistics and the frustrations and the irritations of having this crap infiltrate his daily routine.
0: I was just enjoying a nice barbecue on the roof. And now you're hijacking my comic book with okay. superheroics.
1: Well, you know what? It's that familiar feeling of when you think you have a day off and then someone texts you from work and says, oh, we got a big problem. And you're just like, God damn it. I got to deal with this shit now. <laughs>
0: are still two bros who don't know much bro but for the next 45 minutes bro and i will pretend to know something about comic books bro this week we are talking about hawkeye by matt fraction and david aha you may also know hawkeye aka clint barton as the avenging archer from some very popular movies and while this book features a character of the very same name it is anything but the stuff of hollywood
1: blockbuster so we are going to review jeremy renner's 2002 portrayal of the famous chef jeffrey dahmer isn't that right rumen
0: i was actually thinking about maybe some of his rock album i don't know but you know similar to those rennerific uh, movies hawkeye is just a guy with a bow and arrow but that is where the similarities end in the book clint still doesn't have any superpowers and this book makes it painfully obvious as we see him constantly battered and bruised like so many of us clint's just a flawed dude trying to do the right thing with varying degrees of success basically his life is a mess fractions hawkeye run is a fun often funny character driven story with beautiful minimalist art and sepia tones clint is joined by his newfound pal kate bishop a young whippersnapper who's now assumed the mantle of hawkeye in his newly adopted dog era he's also supported by a who's who of ex-lady friends a cast of working-class neighbors who like their rooftop grill outs, and as already mentioned far too many track suited eastern european gangsters saying bro so throw in the occasional super criminals and evil spies and you've got a real fun romp across brooklyn madripoor and los angeles and since hawkeye is a book that delivers on really human moments of humor i couldn't think of a better person who doesn't really read comics as my pal drew who happens to be the world's first humor engineer and co-host of another podcast drew welcome to the pod hello thank you so much for having me what an intro bro that's it that's (laughs) all i got Uh, so drew before we dive into hawkeye you've got a really interesting take on the role of humor and that's actually why i wanted you on this episode you know because it's more important it's more than just jokes can you tell us about that and also tell us about like your nerdly knowledge and preferences
2: yeah i think i can i can think i do that so i am in fact a nerd and i joke that if you wonder what type of nerd the answer is yes mostly computer math sci-fi dungeons and Dragons, we got Star Wars in there, Star Trek in there, Starbucks included. But comic books, not as much, which we can certainly jump into, but really nerd out about humor. So I started doing improv and stand-up in college at The Ohio State University. And to be actually, confused with a, oh, no, yeah, not, not OU or in any other university there, but V and uh, no, started doing improv and, and stand up and realized it was super helpful with other humans. And so started nerding out about it in terms of, okay, how does it work? How can I take it apart? How can I, as an engineer, learn it? And then more importantly, how can I use humor to get better results? And ultimately, long story short, I uh, started a company called humor that works that focuses on teaching people how to use humor, but. Specifically, with that idea of for improving communication skills, or solving workplace challenges, or employee disengagement, or stress management, or even just kind of communication or confidence skills, etc. And so that's my kind of understanding and geeking out about humor. And then, like I said, from the nerd side, all of them. But less, in, I never really read a ton of comic books growing up. Have seen all of the Marvel films. The comics that I read growing up were more the cartoons, like Calvin and Hobbes and The Far Side. Honestly. I had a
1: question. What do you think of the Marvel Cinematic Universe brand? And of humor because it seems to be effective in you know creating a big blockbusters and crowd pleasers but it's often criticized because it's basically everyone is just constantly quippy
2: i mean i personally enjoy it because that's kind of what i'm like i watch a movie from the mcu for that feel versus i'm not watching it for a dark knight feel right like so that level of humor in, in dark knight that version of batman wouldn't work but you also see it like doesn't quite work in the dc universe in the sense of how they've done movies like suicide squad i feel like they saw movies of mcu and they're like oh they used a lot of humor and it was effective let's try to just jam some in there and it just didn't work quite as well and so i think it works for the mcu for what i'm looking for in terms of something that is entertaining has it's kind of like somber moments but mostly about hey this is going to be superheroes doing superhero stuff and having fun doing it that's my take well it's kind of what you preach at your day job
0: like they're literally bringing humor to work so they'll be fighting a supervillain and then cracking wise kind of like what spider-man does as well
2: yeah yeah yeah, so that's a great point is, is Tony Stark is just really adept at using humor in the workplace to break tension. Like if you think about, hey, you're you're embarrassing me in front of the, the wizard bros or whatever, like that line. And one of the movies, that type of humor is like, yeah, it's, it, it in a way, humor can kind of make you feel like you have a little bit more control over a situation than you actually do. And I think you kind of see that with Hawkeye in some of these responses as well. Way
0: to bring it back, Drew. Yeah. Look at you. <laughs> it's like you do a podcast on the side.
1: Ryan, So I got to ask, uh, how do you feel about Hawkeye run. So Hawkeye, um, in the comics, and even in the movies, is usually a pretty underdeveloped character. He's just sort of like the guy in the background. And so this, what I appreciated with Fraction is that this is trying to humanize him, show his insecurities, show his weaknesses, both physical and spiritual and emotional, the fact that his life is a mess. In a way, they almost kind of make him like Spider-Man, because Spider-Man's all that character who never, you know, he's a superhero, but he can he can never quite win. And so I think, you know, Fraction did a great job in humanizing Hawkeye, the writer, the artist, uh, how do you pronounce his name? Aja? Aha? No idea. <laughs> We'll go with aha. Really kind of a unique sensibility that it's a much more realistic take on the character. You know, he's usually illustrated pretty cartoony or exaggerated. This kind of reminded me of like Alex Malieve, where it's very kind of gritty and that fit what Fraction was trying to do with Hawkeye, where it's basically I think Fraction described it as Hawkeye on his day off. I kind of feel though, in this I'm gonna a little bit of criticism that enter the part where Ryan starts shitting on a book. You gotta have that, otherwise we don't have a podcast. It's our stick. it's our Yeah, I I feel like he had trouble kind of like putting that character into particularly interesting situations. That version of Hawkeye, you know, trying to push him into interesting situations that really work dramatically. I feel like Fraction had some trouble there, and I want to get into that later, but it's something that he couldn't break past sort of the character study of Hawkeye, and I think that was the biggest weakness of his run. So
0: Drew, overall thoughts? As a semi-newbie to comics, this isn't a typical superhero romp. So what were some of your reactions?
2: No, well, and and I'm curious about, like, why... And and maybe it's me articulating Clint's inner thoughts, but, like, why exactly is Hawkeye an Avenger? Like, what does he... bring to the, because t- he's not Batman levels like rich and like super good at technology. So he's not Tony Stark. So he's really good at hitting things, but you would think that Iron Man with Jarvis or whatever iteration he has would also be really good at like aiming things. And he's not like a leader. He's not like Captain America, like we're following this voice. Like I've always enjoyed you know, Renner's rendition of it, but what I don't see, and maybe it is because of that articulation of Clint, but like what does he bring to the table in the Avengers comic books? What's his role? Well, I appreciate I appreciate that a fraction questions
1: that kind of in the opening panels, you know, Hawkeye Mm -hmm. kind of says I shouldn't be an Avenger, but it is definitely not a question that they ever answer. And I don't think there is an answer to that. There's no real reason for Hawkeye to be an Avenger and to be, you know, paired with all of these God class heroes. So I think you're spot on there. It's a question that's raised, never answered. Well, and there's literally been SNL sketches about
0: it after like the Marvel movies became popular. So I don't really want to get into the background of Hawkeye, but he was one of not one of the original original Avengers, but kind of the first class of after the first five or six they brought in a few more right and he was literally a carney, a former thief who happened to be really good with the bow and arrow and that was about it and he had all these trick arrows and he was very quippy and that was it and so because he was one of like literally the first 10 or 15 avengers way back in the day you know and they've written the character off and on again pretty well they've just kind of kept him around and they're actually back in the i want to say late 80s early 90s they decided to split up the avengers and have a west coast avengers basically. In LA, where Captain America ran the main team in New York, and Hawkeye actually ran the team out west. Now, the rendition of Hawkeye was very much a more super heroic, always does the right thing, but can, you know, stand toe to toe with Iron Man kind of guy. The Matt Fraction Hawkeye really peels it back a lot. I mean, in one, one of my favorite scenes, I can't remember which volume, but it's an Aven- at the end of an Avengers battle, and like Wolverine, Spider-Man, and Hawkeye, you know, all just finished up, and Hawkeye's in a lot of pain, where the other guys are like, hey, let's go Hang out. What do you want to do? And he's like, I need to go die now.
2: I did appreciate that. I appreciated that he's beat up, that he goes to the hospital. I mean, the opening scene is him kind of coming out of the hospital. And I fully appreciate that. I don't, was that, uh, that scene that you're talking about, was that in this run? I might've missed the thing that threw me off. And this is maybe a a different conversation is the order of the issues like changed? I was like, okay, we're going to do Star Wars level counting where it's going to go one, two, three, four, five, six, nine, seven, 11, 22, right order. I don't know.
0: Yeah. So what happened was, Kate the junior Hawkeye right Uh, Kate Mm -hmm. Bishop she goes off to LA and in the original issues as they were released they would alternate an LA issue and New York issue so you can kind of see what was going on with both at the same time and I think when they published them together they said let's do all the Kate in LA stuff and let's do all the uh, Hawkeye in Brooklyn stuff but the scene I'm talking about is (laughs) we've just found it as as soon as they're done they're like let's go watch Dog Cops some reality show and there's just a lot of little shticks in it I think they came back to Dog Cops a a separate time in the thing but it's just this Hawkeye I guess what I would say, Drew, is not superhero Hawkeye. He's not the Hawkeye you read and you pick up an Avengers comic. You watch an Avengers movie. To to Ryan's earlier quote, this is Hawkeye's day off. Hawkeye lives in Brooklyn, has a normal place, and he's not the biggest deal of an Avenger. People literally call him Hawkeye, which I thought was fantastic. <laughs> I
1: actually do appreciate him getting beaten up constantly. That's kind of key in a superhero story. I always appreciate in like the MCU, for instance, like Spider Man. You know, he physically suffers. Who is that author? Ian Ford. He always says torture the heroine or the hero in this case You got to kind of show them physically suffering in order to humanize them And I've actually kind of felt like in some other superheroes like Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel They're too invulnerable They kind of just waltz through everything And that actually makes them less relatable Because they never really have to physically overcome any particular block or ordeal And and obviously Hawkeye throughout of this Even minor stuff like when he jumps through a window without his shoes on And he lands Mm -hmm. on the glass It hurts his foot and that's something that affects him
2: Yeah, in a sense he's a hero he's not necessarily a superhero like he's a great hero but i don't necessarily the the super in front of it but i i agree with what you're saying in that sense that he is in some ways perhaps the most relatable to like us as regular people i feel like with someone like iron man or like you said wonder woman or that kind of stuff some of the the struggle the conflict that they have is one that is just a struggle of right and wrong or more of a mental one almost versus hawkeye it's very much a physical one that you also like okay how's he gonna deal with all these bros coming at him
1: yeah i feel like you kind of I have to have both you just have the mental struggle it's just like man just sleep on it and figure it out later you have the physical struggle that's something that actually raises the stakes to the extent where your life is in danger and you might not come out of this alive. mental struggle you, you know go to shrink
0: or yeah. you know buried away deeply as clint does <laughs> just mm-hmm. one one string of terrible decisions
1: after another i will also say like in this book i really do appreciate how bed Stuy is very much a character a lot of the conflicts that talk has to deal with on his day off are conflicts that it feels like regular people have to deal with maybe not making rent so much because he's rich but just kind of juggling your day job juggling with your relationships dealing with really awful landlords there in in bed-sty itself the way it's illustrated it feels very much like something recognizable and grounded Uh, i feel like he tried to do kind of something similar with los angeles i don't think he was as successful there and i think part of it is because kate bishop when she goes to los angeles she's just kind of in southern california whereas hawkeye is Specifically in this neighborhood of bed Well, shifting gears a little
0: bit. So Kate Bishop is a relatively younger character, hasn't been out as long. And their portrayal of her as not quite a foil, but a mentee or someone who's taken up the mantles, taking over the mantle. What are thoughts on her and that relationship?
1: So Kate Bishop, she's two different characters, it feels like. When she's with Hawkeye, she kind of goes between being a mentee and an exasperated older sister. She's a lot more competent. She's trying to get Clint to get his shit in order. When she goes to Los Angeles, she actually feels like a much younger character. She's out of her depth, she's struggling, she's trying to figure it all out. She's a little bit more, almost carefree. And I guess you could make the argument that she's one thing with around Clint and she's another thing, kind of left to her own devices without her dad's credit card, but it still felt almost like a disconnect. Like Mac Fraction needed her to be one thing when she's dealing with Clint, and then he needed her to be something else when she was having her own adventures. And I didn't see quite the connection between those two versions of Kate, and that was my biggest issue with her.
2: Yeah, and I would agree with that. The, the move to LA, I mean, it did hold one of, like I think, the funniest pages of it the scene where she's like taking the the tour bus to get to the one celebrity person's house just the 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 humor of the tour bus person i think was maybe this is just being kind of in the entertainment world a little bit knowing a little bit about the you know cliche of hollywood and then just you know hey you know i was in an improv class with so and so whatever like i thought the humor in that on that particular page there was like four or five punchlines which i thought were great but From a character development perspective, I don't think I was able to articulate, would have articulated as well as Ryan just did, but I agree with that. Of like, yeah, she gets out there and we get this very quick, like, well, here's a conflict. The credit card no longer works. And now it's suddenly like bumbling through and she can't even know which kind of cat food to buy versus in New York, she's able to go to a soiree with Hawkeye and also be able to do this thing with a supervillain but like catch the jump on the supervillain which we don't even necessarily see later or we see a little bit later how that actually happened but it's like wait she was so good at that but she can't do these seemingly small simple things yeah she's like
1: almost mature beyond her i think she's a teenager so she's mature beyond her age when she's in new york and when she's in los angeles somehow she's suddenly acting her age
0: well i mean to to something you said earlier in new york She's got daddy's credit card. She is a New Yorker or a New Jerseyer, so she knows her way around. And she has this kind of broad support network, be it the Young Avengers, be it Hawkeye, etc. She goes to LA. She has no car. She has no money. She has no place to live. And she thought she was being a badass by taking the car and driving out there. And honestly, I found when she was in LA, she was more parallel to Clint Barton in Brooklyn. She did not have her shit together. Like just complete her life. I don't want to say it fell apart because she perseveres through it, and she puts her little spunkiness. I can't even remember how she describes herself sometimes, but she kind of puts that in play, this false confidence, to kind of gump her way from situation to situation. And you know, in Madripoor, she picked up a supervillain who effectively chases her to L.A. to torture her. So
1: yeah, in L.A., she's definitely much more similar to Clint. She definitely resembles uh, the Clint Hawkeye much more than in New York, but. I will say it felt like a fundamental shift in her characterization. She's very resourceful in New York. You know, even when she's up against the wall, she can figure things out and she has this confidence and this capability. And once she goes to Los Angeles, she almost reverts to this lost little girl who will eventually work her way through it, but she's so much more of a mess. And that, to me, felt... Uh, actually, dramatically, that made her more interesting as a character. But it wasn't the Kate Bishop that Fraction had set up in the earlier episodes of Hawkeye. There's no reason why she should suddenly seem almost incompetent at doing certain things.
2: And maybe for me, it was just the speed through which I read it or something. It felt a little Game of Thrones Season 8-ish of it. It's like, she gets there and within like two pages, goes from that confident thing to that oh, I don't know what's going on. So perhaps like in a way, I could see that to, to run Roman's point, I could see that over time of like, okay, this wearing down on her and maybe I don't quite, you know, from reading comics or not being used to it, knowing like how much quote unquote time is passed in something, but it's like, oh, okay, that's a pretty quick turnaround. I don't know if it's convenient for the author as opposed to realistic to the character, perhaps, but I could see her getting to that to Roman's point of like, yeah, you have that culture shock, you are away from all of your support systems, you don't even have the young Avengers to kind of like be cool with, but don't know if it was necessarily earned. And I
1: also think the plots that Fraction gives her, the escapades she gets into, are look, they're just kind of dumb. They're kind of like typical superhero fare where she's investigating this former musician whose asshole brother uploaded his stuff on the internet. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, why do I care about that? <laughs> and the Madame Mask stuff is the most interesting because it kind of comments on the desire for a lot of people in Hollywood to preserve their bodies. But even that, it almost feels sort of like, oh yes, and this is Madame Mask's ultimate plot. And then they kind of move on from there. So it feels like Fraction is just kind of throwing a lot of ideas to see what sticks in Kate Bishop's world. It doesn't have that sort of cohesiveness that Clint's section has where you kind of have this escalation of this, you know,
2: landlord conflict that comes to a head at the very end. One of the questions that as you're talking that comes up in my head, was like, what's the process for writing a series like this? Do you like, is it like, okay, you get Hawkeye and you get to do something with it and and go for it and it just can kind of continues on as you want? Or is it like, okay, we need this big overarching plot. You're going to have 20 five issues or so to do it in fill in some of the details like is this something that you write knowing the end state pretty early on or do you kind of write it and then oh I did this thing a few issues ago what if I brought that back again here any insight into like that creative process that they're going through well it's it's negotiable right so if you're
0: uh, a writer no one's heard of and they give you the keys to one of the cars right like you're gonna write silver surfer I'm pretty sure you kind of have to clear what you're gonna do because you can't wreck the jewels for something like a big <laughs> iconic character but if you're in Matt uh, at this point when hawkeye came out a semi-proven author he pretty much said they they typically submit their outlines right like here's what i want to do here's where it's going to be decidedly different the problem is in superhero comics is as, as ryan has kind of said a few times like everything just kind of reverts back to normal you can't really do much with it which is where indie comics tend to be more interesting and so honestly hawkeye this run on hawkeye i think was relatively unique for a superhero comic because not a lot happens but it's really interesting and with the exception of a couple of big supervillain heist sort of things there's not a lot of massive action it's very ground level clint stay off sort of stuff that just examines the relationships and the flaws of the character so to answer your question drew it just really depends on which car are you driving who owns it is it literally just tied to a movie property worth noting so disney who owns marvel who you know owns hawkeye they've greenlit a Disney Plus show about Hawkeye. And there's a lot of rumor that it's going to be based on this Matt Fraction run, which to me is kind of upsetting. It's exciting. But Matt Fraction's Hawkeye, his Clint Barton does not jive at all with the Jeremy Renner character in the Marvel movies. And this TV show, minus some controversy with Renner, is going to have Renner playing Hawkeye. And they're talking about Kate Bishop's going to be a character. So I don't know how you reconcile these two versions of the character for for the small screen.
1: I will say in terms of putting all of the elements together this is one thing that sort of bothered me and it's kind of what i alluded to early on when i felt like when i said i'm not sure how far fraction was able to push the hawkeye character Uh, for example the very Early episodes, issues of Hawkeye, he gets the building somehow from the landlord, he buys them out. And at the end, the big conflict is they need the building back from Hawkeye. So it almost feels like it's one of those things where in the beginning, the villains just said this building isn't for sale. Sorry. And then that's the end of that. So it's like he's creating a conflict that shouldn't really be a conflict. The only reason it's a conflict is because it needs to pay off at the very end in this grand finale. Another example is the villain, the clown, who Kate Bishop kind of flirts with when she's at this party. And then they have another encounter. But instead of all of that sort of material coming back, that initial flirtation, they act as if they've never even met each other. So I was kind of wondering, you know, Fraction sets up stuff early on, and he kind of like pays it off at the end, maybe like halfway. And I found this to be like a consistent thing of his and it kind of drove me a little bit nuts.
2: Yeah, I could see that. I think that the lease on the building was a bit MacGuffin-esque in the sense that it was, like you said, they've gotten every single building except for Hawkeye is able to get it because he goes in and beats up one person. And then they have to get it back by murdering him. And then the clown at one point's like, wait, you don't have to. It's just a legal matter. And then at the very end, they're like, everything you need is in that safe about their big plan of everything. But then we never see what's in the safe. And then at the very end, we see Kingpin saying that both Clint and Kate need to die and then that's maybe setting up another run of something that because I don't think they actually resolve that so uh, yeah I kind of see that yeah that's a great we never see what's in the goddamn
1: safe they mentioned the safe as this big plot point and he never shows us what's in it the clown is a clown at first the clown seems like an assassin for hire and then later on the clown is like a mastermind an architect who's trying to get fraction is trying to like can't quite make up his mind as to what these characters or like he, he kind of establishes the characters and then later on he's sort of like oh shit no no, no no that's not what i wanted to do let's just change their motivation or change their role in the story and that's why it felt a little underbaked at times i don't know how to defend this comic to you guys <laughs> let me ask a question like
0: when reading and I actually when i drew this first because i don't ryan i don't know if you know how to like step back maybe as a writer when you read these things did you ever find yourself just kind of like sitting back and Going along for the
1: ride? Or I did. I did a lot. Like issue by issue, I did. I I thought some of the stuff was very inventive and it was just really, really fun. I think sometimes something will distract me that doesn't distract other people. You know, it's sort of like, I don't know, Ramin, you're in digital advertising. If I were to write a fictional story about the character in digital advertising and then I have them do something that is just so weird and something that a real advertiser or marketer wouldn't do, you might take a step back and that might take you out of the story. And you might think, no, 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 that's inaccurate. Whereas other people who aren't experts in that field or who aren't studying that field might just kind of gloss over it. And sometimes there are certain things, plot points or details that leap out at me. And I kind of think, uh, I I don't think you, the writer, thought this all the way through. I get that with
2: computer stuff and films and things where, oh, we have this grainy security. Enhance, enhance. Yeah, enhance is the default one or the hacking in that. That's one of the things that I really appreciate about, say something like Mr. Robot, because on the flip side of it, you know, yes, for some media, you can get distracted by it. And you're like, okay, well, it's going to take me out a little bit. For other media, like the show Mr. Robot, it's like, oh, okay, the fact that they label their episode starting at zero, because that's how programmers count as starting at zero instead of one. And, you know, some of the, the hacks and things that they use, it brings you into it a little bit more. So I could see that if, like, if you do a lot of writing, it being a little bit there. To answer your question, Roman, from my side, no, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's not until, like, us starting to talk about it that I'm like, oh, yeah, what about this thing and this thing? But the whole, like, thing while I was reading it, I thought... I was entertained, I was engaged, I really liked the artwork, like the, I don't know exactly what you call it in that framing, but the drawings themselves, the phrasing of it, I laughed kind of out loud at Hawkeye naked jumping across a bed, but the Hawkeye face logo covering up the parts I thought was funny. And there's some great, really visually striking scenes of playing with different colors and stuff. So visually, I thought it was really cool. And yeah, I flipped through, I read it relatively quickly because it was like, oh, that was great. I got to read the next issue. Well, I think my, my defense of
0: this book is a little bit, when I read it the first time, i didn't know what to expect so i kind of turned my brain off and honestly the artistic style forced me into turning my brain off a little bit it, there it everything was kind of pulled back a little bit so i felt very zoomed out as i was kind of flipping through the pages going through the story and there are these beats of humor literally the daily bugle saying everything is awful oh god <laughs> make it stop <laughs> to your point the hawkeye symbol over his junk as he jumps there were enough beats to kind of keep me moving, keep me entertained. I wasn't looking for answers either. I you mean, know, there's one character I'm super familiar with, that being Clint, and one I didn't know that well, Kate. And I didn't need to get to know her that well. I just needed to understand who she was relative to Clint until they get to LA. So I don't treat this as one of the greats. I, As some of the books like Ryan and I attempt to read and decipher, this was just kind of a fun romp that that took a character in a very different direction for me. So-
1: yeah, I, I don't want you to to think
0: I'm sh- like I'm shitting on it. I think <laughs> <laughs> as we have for the last 30 minutes.
1: <laughs> yeah, when you talk about a comic for 30 minutes, it's just you're going to break it down a little bit more than you ordinarily would. You know, for me like the strongest stuff was really the stuff that actually had kind of less of the action and more of the interplay between Kate and Clint, and they're kind of, he had a very interesting relationship. You know, Clint is sort of supposed to be the mentor, but he keeps screwing up, and Kate keeps calling him out on that. I I love that. It's almost like a reversal of what you'd expect. His strange kind of relationship with with his work wife, Black Widow, his ex-wife, Mockingbird, and his current fling, Spider Woman. And then, plus he has that other woman, Penny, who kind of comes up. That stuff was great. So I actually really appreciated more of those character-driven moments. And sometimes when he has these pyrotechnics, they're cool to look at visually, and they're certainly fast to read through. I feel it just didn't have the attention to detail there. It started to feel more like a typical superhero comic. And it started to, in some cases, take away from what I felt was special about this book, which is that deep dive into who Hawkeye is, examining his insecurities, examining his screw-ups, and examining what he really wants to do, which is... Just barbecue on the roof. You know, what's interesting, we talk about the action. And a
0: lot of it is in the first volume, whether it's the big gala on the boat or the the trip to Madripoor. And there's that MCU-style quippy action. So this is when literally... Hawkeye and Hawkeye are being Hawkeyes and car chases and jumping over glass and jumping out of windows, but they're telling jokes. The boomerang arrow comes up far too many times. And honestly, those scenes, I feel that's probably what the Marvel show is going to be. If they try to adapt some of this, it's the, we're running and we're having a conversation and we're arguing with each other while we're doing it. Not unlike, you know, what Falcon and Winter Soldier do in Civil War. You know, I hate you. That sort of stuff.
1: It's sort of like the Aaron Sorkin style of mm-hmm. screenwriting where... you need to dump a lot of exposition you just have them in the hallway walking really fast and talking really fast but I will say that scene when he and Kate Bishop are fleeing in the car and they have that whole thing with the arrows that is actually one of those action sequences that really worked for me because it kind of blended the strange the very familiar life of Hawkeye he hey shit I need to organize my stuff and I need to get some tape to do it but because he didn't really have time to fully do it well then now she can't really fight effectively because Kate doesn't know what arrow is what i thought that actually was an example of an action sequence that kind of blended everything together it was very inventive and to me very unique because it showcased you know who clint barton was as a human being and it has showcased his very kind of exasperated relationship with kate and you know,
0: I, I think to support one of your earlier points ryan again th- i don't think this is one of the greats this is a collection where a lot of the issues the individual issues are really good as well as the issues of the character are really good but as a whole it probably doesn't all pull Together, so to something you were saying earlier, when you when you read an individual issue of it in isolation, be it the car chase one or the Madripoor one or. I think my favorite two issues in the entire run are the issue from the dog's point of view and then the Christmas mm. issue. When when you take these on their own and you kind of divorce them, or you keep them in the context of this bigger story of what might be going on, but they hunt really well as individual issues.
1: There's also, I, I was just complaining about everything, the things not cohering particularly well, but there are times, I'm going to the dog point of view, This the issue that's in the dog's point of view, which I thought was really, really good. What I do like is that you see everything from the dog's point of view. The dog has a limited understanding of what's going on. You know, he might observe a conversation conversation between Clint and Kate but not really understand what's happening and then later on you see that same conversation from like Kate's point of view and then you have a much fuller understanding so there's actually a lot of recall of stuff that happened in the past which I thought was really clever because it's kind of playing with all of those different perspectives and kind of showing how these different people have a different viewpoint of this one incident that sort of recall was a lot more effective I thought than some of the more standard stuff where hey there's an assassin and then later on he's gonna come back which is much more typical of superhero comic
2: yeah I enjoyed that as well I enjoyed the dog perspective I enjoyed how they got across initially the losing of hearing and showing that visually I thought it was I don't know if that's par for the course but I I would agree with that assessment Roman that like any individual issue many of them are great when you look at the overall story is it life changing or anything like that no but it is still engaging reading I'm curious from your perspective you clearly have read a lot more where does the amount of in the style of humor fall is that pretty standard for um, a Marvel thing is it more specific to is it more of a fraction kind of writing style is it more of okay we've given Clint and these people around him this style or sense of humor like where how does that that compare to others
0: humor in comics there's like different eras of consumption right so Ryan and I at some point we're going to release an episode where we talk about these 90s comics that we read X-Men specifically and there aren't a lot of jokes other than the most obvious ones right the kind of either quippy or subversive commentary kind of humor that you find or subtle humor either situational or the offhanded line or the this guy's a doofus with women sort of stuff that's not common the style of humor in this book when done well i think is pretty uncommon for mainstream superhero affair i don't know what do you think Ryan?
1: yeah to be honest i haven't read a lot of marvel comics recently for the reasons like we kind of talked about earlier you kind of lose interest when there's no stakes this is definitely different it's less oh, i'm trying to figure out how trying to figure out why i guess it's less one-liners the humor is more in the exasperation that the characters are expressing in their current situations their exasperations that they're expressing with each other uh, the way their personalities often clash versus some sort of witty borderline satirical commentary one one sentence commentary on the situation that's where it's different i guess the humor is more character driven in that sense and visually it's also very very different you know again you don't see a lot of material from the point of view of a dog it actually kind of reminded me a lot of, of chris wears jimmy corrigan jimmy yeah, corrigan the, sorry the, uh, rusty the, brown the, specifically the Christmas issue to me that's like the standout one in this entire run.
0: That is has a very Chris Ware vibe to it. You're right.
1: Yeah, just to put things in the right timeline, this actually did precede Rusty Brown. Rusty Brown came out in 2019. This came out I think in 2013 or maybe 2015. That is sort of like a thing that Chris Ware does pretty consistently, where his artwork almost looks like diagrams. He's almost diagramming the story for you.
2: Yeah. Well, and, and visually it was great. I mean, I I don't know if I'm going to look at a plane landing sign the same. I don't know if you all remember that. It's <laughs> it's a silly aside, but it's like why would there be a sign for alligators from the the bros talking about it the tracksuits talking about it and you look at the sign you're like okay that kind of does look like alligators So it's a great kind of observational piece inserted that feels very on par with those characters the additional punchline of there are no alligators at the airport wolves that's what you got to be afraid of like so that like another great example of just what felt it felt very authentic and real but also very good observational or well done humor that felt conversational as opposed to your point it's not Schwarzenegger, like 90s action flick, where he beats someone up and then gives that punchline of, you know, the Mr. Freeze type thing, but more of a, oh, this is just kind of everyday conversations that people would have and the humor that would arise from it.
0: What's interesting is I have a handful of friends who are either accomplished screenwriters or aspiring ones that I've met over the years. And what I always tell them about the medium of comics is it's a great way to get your story told really fast. And when you divorce yourself from the superhero genre, you can do a lot of things. And yes, this is a book about a superhero an established character in an established universe in appearances and superheroics but when this book is really well something ryan was even saying it steps very far away from the superheroics it's you know it's the day in the life stuff with the guy who happens to be really good with a bow and arrow but it's moderate character drama with beats of humor situations of humor that's what makes us good i mean there have been hawkeye miniseries (laughs) there have been hawkeye
1: team-ups and stuff that's not what makes us special though yeah Honestly, the superheroic stuff, like when they go to Madripoor, all of that felt a little bit rote. And that's actually, for me, when the series tended to drag the most. It's best when it's sort of like the superheroic stuff sort of crashes down on Clint Barton's normal life. And he's just trying to deal with the logistics and the frustrations and the irritations of having this crap infiltrate his daily routine. I've mentioned Madripoor being one of the arcs that was most deadening to me. When the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. abduct him when he's trying to just barbecue... I thought that was great. Maybe you were a
0: stand-in for him. He's like, I was just enjoying a nice barbecue on the roof, and now you're hijacking my comic book with this, this super heroics.
1: Well, you know what? It's that familiar feeling. I think of when you think you have a day off, and then someone texts you from work and says, oh, "We got a big problem," and you're just like, "God damn it! I got to deal with this shit now." It's <laughs> that we all relate to that.
2: <laughs> Not everything that happens afterwards. Any so, any
0: last any last bits or hits for you?
2: Uh, I'm I'm just curious from your perspective because again, I haven't read. A a ton. You know, I, I read Watchmen. I read Fun Home, which isn't, you know, a superhero comic, but like graphic novel kind of stay thing. And, and this, and I think that's about it. Now, I read some Deadpool, but like just from a, a purely taking in perspective, do you look at the pictures first or read the words? Do you see them at the same time? Are you more with the physical copy and want to leaf through? Because I did, I did Kindle and there's a mode where you can kind of zoom in and you basically just press on your screen and it takes you to what the next panel is. And I, I guess, panel, you, yeah. yeah, you go panel to panel. And that I thought was an interesting experience because sometimes I don't know which panel to look at first. But I was just curious from people who have read it a lot. What's the process for actually taking it in since it is such a visual medium, but that you also still have to read? It's
0: funny. There are comics that are very art driven and comics that are very word driven. And every once in a while you get two competing forces. So at some point we're about to review Jim Lee, who was one of the, the great comic book artists of the 90s with Chris Claremont, one of the somewhat argued pretty good author. And you literally have word balloons covering up the art. And where the two, the writer and the artist, are almost competing with each other. And that's not a fun experience. And then you have some where it's very art-driven, some where it's very written-driven, like Alan Moore. I would argue there are not many comics that have the interplay of the words and pictures together. We just referenced this guy, Chris Ware, where the pictures and the panels and the progression across the page are literally pulling you along. You need to look at both to get it done. And I think when AHA was doing the issues with Fraction, it accomplished that. I feel like the two play well together. Like, you can't have one without the other. I, I cannot say that about some other comics I've read where I skim over the art. I don't care about the art. The art is in the background or vice versa. A lot of the art driven stuff that we used to read as kids in the 90s.
1: So uh, I've, I've always felt ideally it should be cohesive, right? The word people often forget that the word balloons are just as much a part of the, the graphic design of the page as the, the art. Um, and when everything's working in harmony, the word balloons can actually kind of direct you which panel to read next based on the placement on the page. Even, even the, the interior art can kind of direct you which panel to read next for instance you have a character pointing now in the drama they might be pointing at something like an explosion but within the context of the page they're actually pointing at which panel you should be reading next so there are a lot of really kind of clever sequential tricks that these sequential artists can use but depending on how the comic is put together sometimes that can get lost like the marvel style they'll have an outline and then they'll have the artist illustrate it and then they'll have the writer put the word balloons in Um, and sometimes Because of that, maybe the writer's really wordy, for instance, which is a common problem with Marvel Comics. It can obstruct the flow. So I don't think there's any one way to read the comic. You just have to try to it's really the the burdens on the creator to show you how to read the comic and if the creator does a good job it should be clear and if the creator doesn't there's confusion the really good stuff is when it's too easy like you don't realize so Mm. i'm looking at
0: a couple of pages in the first volume where they're escaping and they're jumping out a window into a pool and to ryan's point panel by panel the action within the panels is related the angles of the drawing is all related and it just kind of guides you through it's a very fluid and frictionless process and when you go and stare at how much work and coordination was necessary to make that happen and make it feel so easy that's the art right when it's done well you don't know how well it's been done
1: yeah if you have to think about whether to read the captions first or look at the pictures first it can often be an indication that the page isn't coming together as well as it could
2: yeah that's fair no, so, I
1: was just fascinated because I haven't read a lot so I appreciate that yeah Ryan any last thoughts on Hawkeye no I mean despite my <laughs> criticizing it <laughs> just feel like that's my role in this podcast I actually do feel I mean it was it's a romp as you said Ruman. And it's an interesting examination of a character who is usually not examined that closely. And I appreciate the ambition of what Matt Fraction was trying to do, both in terms of exploring Hawkeye, in terms of making Hawkeye's environment as much of a character as as Clint Barton, and also in terms of just being very playful and trying to visually create a comic from strictly from the point of view of a dog or to try to show what it's like when Hawkeye is temporarily deafened. So there's a lot of inventiveness here and a lot of stuff that you don't see in traditional superhero comics that I definitely think his run is worth picking up
0: yeah if the superhero genre is going to survive and it will but if it's going to remain interesting I think the companies and the owners of this IP really has to be willing to like take risks and and let creators execute a vision that isn't following the formula right so yeah I really enjoyed it well, Drew, thanks for joining us on a romp through Comic-Dome.
2: Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun to read. It was a lot of fun to to get into a medium that I'm not used to. And then it was a lot of fun to, to nerd out about it. Well,
0: we're pretty good at something. And one of those things is nerding out, so... <laughs>
2: And that's our show.
0: Like what you heard? Be sure to share with a friend, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. See lots of pretty pictures of the books we read at qtdcomics.com. And since we're sure no one's listening, prove us otherwise. Shoot an email over to say what I got right and what Ryan got wrong, qtdcomics at gmail.com. We give you a social media handle, but we're old and that feels like too much work. I'm Roman Segel. And I am and have always been Ryan Joe. And remember, you're going to miss each and every shot you can't be bothered to take. That's not living life, that's just being a tourist.